0: This is Profiles in Risk.
1: Hosted by Nick Lamparelli. Every week, we interview those who risk life, limb, fortunes, career, and reputation, and those who work behind the scenes, who look to protect and enlighten us about risk. You can find the show notes and other insurance-related content at insnerds.com. That's I-N-S-N-E-R-D-S dot com.
2: Now, on to the show.
3: Welcome back, everyone, to a special episode of Profiles in Risk. I am your host, Nick Lamparelli. We have a jam-packed event here, locked and loaded, with a lot of subject matter experts in different areas of insurance. This particular episode is to focus on the Insurance Nexus 2019 Insurance Awards, which will be held in Chicago, Illinois on September 12th. Yes, we are a bit away from that date, but we're going to be talking about innovation. We're going to talk about how experts think about innovation, um, how they judge it. So the types of criteria that they use Um, when looking at and evaluating disparate companies, disparate innovations, and how they might make a difference in the insurance industry. So let's go Brady Bunch this and go to my left here. Don LeBlanc is the Managing Director at the Hartford InsurTech Hub. Just beneath is Paul Carroll, who a lot of you might know at Insurance Nerds. He's the Editor-in-Chief at Insurance Thought Leadership. Directly beneath me is Nicole Cook, who's Managing Director at the Global Insurance Accelerator. I'll see you in a couple weeks. To my bottom right is Margaret Reese Milken, She's, who's the Managing Partner at the Jacobson Group. And last but not least, Scott, Scott McCormick. He is the President of the Connected Vehicle Trade Association. Welcome, everybody. Don you you got the short straw so I'm going to I'm going to throw the first question out to you it has to do with insurance banquets and insurance awards why is it important for us to celebrate all the hard work that a lot of the innovators a lot of the team players The people who have sacrificed, why is it so important for us to celebrate this?
0: That's a great question. I think um, for those of us who participate in these a lot, it can seem a little bit like an overload of events and, and celebrations. But if you imagine people who are working within insurance companies or working on new innovation, it takes a lot of courage, courage within your organization to affect change, um, to bring up new ideas, because the easier thing to do is to sort of keep doing it status quo, and that's really not going to move the insurance industry forward. So I think it's great to take a step back, um, pat a few people on the back, and usually by the time um, you or I or, or anyone in the audience sees the innovation, there's many hours of uh, convincing arm-twisting, um, presentations, uh, meetings with several people to, to move that innovation forward. And um, a, a small gesture of recognizing that goes a long way, not only for the people who were involved, but also for others who are around them, that they can go back and talk about it and say, hey, I just won this award. Uh, even just participating is a great thing. Um, and someone who might be then sitting at their desk saying, hmm, I have this idea, maybe I should move it forward and maybe I should start thinking about it, um, will actually do so. So that impetus for change um, I think is very important.
3: Yeah. Nicole, you're part of the GIA, the Global Insurance Accelerator. Can you talk about, I would say a lot of the innovation is coming from the startups. They're coming from these, uh, these newer companies that are, are fighting for financing, fighting for capital. Fighting to for sales to get in the door, they're fighting for all this stuff can you you you're fully exposed to all of that as is Don. Can you talk about a lot of the stress that goes into creating a startup and trying to get traction and get it off the ground
2: yeah th- thanks for thanks for having me and I think so many of the things that Don just said feeds into this really well. It's, you know, sometimes even at the larger companies, feeling like you're, you're taking the lead on an idea of something that's innovative is is not always easy. And so you might have even more of the resources uh, to do it. These startups that we're getting exposure to at the GIA and, and within the broader insure tech community, they're hungry and they're moving fast. And they have these ideas to change, you know, change the industry uh, or help the industry evolve. But the pace with which they're moving is uh, really incredible. And so, what what we see and I experience is kind of helping. Uh, we try to help bridge the gap in terms of how do you keep moving quickly, but when you're working with and inside the insurance industry we need to help educate on both sides so that so both parties can really kind of benefit and move on a timeline that makes sense and i think that's a good friction because it helps both both sides kind of move move that forward some of, just a couple more things i would say about that in terms of you know a, a week or two weeks uh, for a startup feels like a lifetime sometimes when you're trying to get to a decision around uh you know can i just have a conversation with you to explain to you what my company or product or service is or
3: or or six months nicole
2: i i know (laughs) right and and so um it's absolutely fair and so those are the those are all the things that building and a startup any industry insure tech being no different you know there's a lot A lot to do to stay alive and keep your business moving forward.
3: Yeah. Uh, Margaret, I want to ask you about innovation and I'm going to, I actually, I think this is an appropriate question for everyone to answer. So I'll start with Margaret. Four of the categories and on the show notes, I'll have the link that lists all of the the different categories. I believe there are 19 total awards being presented, but in four of those categories where uh, you, all of you judges are going to be voting on, there's the word innovation. And so th- I'm learning that can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. Margaret, when you're thinking of innovation and you're thinking of in insurance, h- how do you compute or quantify innovation? What What's on your checklist as you're thinking about uh, companies, startups, uh, divisions within companies that are innovative? What what crosses your mind?
4: Nick, that's that's a great lead in. And, you know, I want to tell you, the first thing I think about is reimagining, reimagining the industry. Um, And to Nicole's point, you know, how do we educate and how do we evangelize? You know, we're working and living in what I call a VUCA landscape. It's volatile, it's uncertain, it's complex, it's ambiguous, and this is our, this is our re- reality today. And innovation um, speaks to that. How do you navigate and how do you work through and work in and embrace the VUCA landscape? And so what we're talking about is curiosity and agility and collaboration and influence and relationships. So, those are some of the things that are going through Margaret's mind as I think and I really envision what the future is and what innovation means to insurance today
3: scott what's your what's your view on innovation how do you how do you think through that?
5: Well, innovation means it's something new, something novel. When we look at startups, they have to be innovative because that's where they're a startup. they're doing something that No one else is doing, or they're doing it in a different way than has been done before, and and bringing it forward. When we look at at all the the ecosystem that's out there, from the startups to those companies that have been around 100 years, they all require evolution in their products and services because their customers evolve, their needs evolve. I, I don't like the term disruptive. Disruptive only applies if you're not paying attention. If, if some change has occurred and, and you're not current with what's going on or, or watching what's going on, it will be disruptive to you. But it's not disruptive to the industry. It's something that's going on and changing. So when I look at these, at these candidates that come up, unless it's one of those newcomer awards, anybody can be innovative. To Dan's point, it, it, it's much more difficult. takes much longer inside large established corporations because they have a persona, they have a a way of taking risk out of decisions. Whereas with a startup, they're much more agile, much more nimble and and much less risk adverse in that side. So the the innovative aspect is to look at what is it that they're doing new and different? Where are they getting traction for that? Is it a robust solution to to a problem that exists? That tends to be the the tripod that I look at it
3: for. Okay, Paul, insurance thought leadership has probably either covered or dealt with in one form or another, probably thousands of insure techs, but you have relationships with a lot of other folks in the industry as well. How how do you personally quantify innovation? What's on your checklist?
1: As I think about innovation, I I think there may be some useful distinctions. One is People sometimes lump everything together, but I think you can divide innovation into what we used to call faster, better, cheaper when I was a partner at a consulting firm and what I won't call disruptive innovation as long as we're not liking that term, but uh, is more uh, a a blank sheet of paper, clean sheet of paper. And I, I think that from my standpoint, the Ubers of the world are much more interesting than somebody who does a a taxi cab better, right? So I I look for that kind of innovation. But at the same time, there is so much inefficiency in insurance that there's an awful lot that can be done to streamline the process and take out a lot of costs. I I think once you get enough cost out of insurance, there really will be a transformation in how insurance is, is bought and sold. So that's one distinction I'd make. Another is that there's pitching and catching. And I think with insured techs, I'm more focused on the pitching because they are the ones, as Scott said, that need to have the the new ideas uh, really stir things up. With the established companies, I'm more interested in how well they catch at this point because they're not necessarily the ones who are going to have the brand new ideas, but they can do the sort of thing that Nicole was referencing and make sure that they get back to somebody within a couple days or a week because time really matters to a startup and not make people fit into their process. So new ideas are great, but it sort of depends where you are in the system, what I think matters in terms of innovation.
3: Don, innovation. You get to deal with a lot of these companies every single day, you and Nicole. So interested in hearing how how you're thinking about it.
0: Yeah, so, you know, I, I agree with Paul's comment in that, um, you know, we look at thousands of, of startups um, to choose our final 10 that, that come through our program, each program that we have. And um, a lot of what we look at um, not only is sort of I'll call it business model transformation, right? So it's really shifting the way insurance is done, but also if you if you look at sort of the futuristic curve. The analogy of, you know, if you're planning for a future that's, um, you know, a year off, two years off, you're probably going to miss the mark of, of where you need to be because we know that some of those things take that long to implement or integrate. Um, so we, we tend to look a little bit more on, further away on the kind of futuristic curve um, from an innovation perspective. Unfortunately, sometimes that does um, have a conflict with what the insurers are ready to absorb. Um, because uh, like was mentioned before, often they're looking to find the things that give you the really quick um, cost benefit analysis or or fix a, a process that's that needs to be um, revised. So um, sometimes a, it's a, a little bit different of of what's sort of innovation um, versus
2: solving business problems.
3: Nicole, last but not least, <clears throat> how do you how do you think about innovation?
2: I think my simplified Simplified point of view around this is when when I hear a well-articulated problem that there's an idea around a solution to that problem that either exists, because it, it, it likely does in some capacity, it might not be completely novel, but the ability to articulate that in a way that others haven't executed well on that that gets really interesting for for me for us and so I think that that's kind of how I think about innovation articulate the problem you're solving to me really well
3: okay so staying with you Nicole do you believe that innovation by necessity requires technology
2: uh that's a good question I mean
3: are you are you seeing any sort of innovative companies coming in? Where the, the, I I would even say where the, the technology, the customer or the, the end user is abstracted from the technology. They don't actually know what's going on. All they just know is something's better, but, but, but by necessity, does innovation require someone software, you know, someone coding?
2: Uh, I I don't think so. I guess thinking of an example quickly to cite, but no, Uh, you know, business processes that could be improved by a human because someone's more clearly identified the problem that the human can solve better. That's still innovative.
3: Yeah. So someone on Friday told me that innovation can be as simple as you have a better solution to hiring talent. Mm-hmm. Like that could be innovative and that could manifest its way down back all the way down to the end user as well. If, if you're doing that done, by, by necessity is innovation and technology. I know they generally go hand in hand, but it does, does one require the other?
0: Yeah, I think you know, from, from my perspective, and I, I, similar to what Nicole said, I, I counsel that our startups a lot to really not talk about their technology when they're talking about the solution, right? And so I think the answer is, is if it, if it provides a new solution to a very difficult problem, however that is provided, um, it should actually be transparent, that technology behind it. It's actually, if, if the experience that whoever is, is um, experiencing the solution is a pleasant experience or is a better experience, then then that itself is innovative.
3: Yeah. Any thoughts, Paul?
1: Oh, I agree. I, I think technology tends to drive things in a very general way and certainly doesn't need to be a, an explicit part of a solution. I, to me, the, the biggest change, maybe in insurance, has been that people actually are starting to care about the customer experience. It used to be sort of take it or leave it, but now people have seen what we used to call Amazon, you know, where people get used to the one-click sort of experience at Amazon and are seeing what's happening in other industries. So uh, if, if you track the customer experience, you can find all kinds of ways to innovate, I believe, without necessarily having a specific piece of technology involved. And when technology is involved, in a lot of cases, I think it can be at a very basic level. You can just touch people immediately in ways that you never could before. With some of the work I've done on innovation, including some of the the books I've written, my co-author and I have decided that there's really only one kind of synergy that works, and we call it, do you want fries with that? Uh, (laughs) There are a lot of places in terms, like, you know, selling a car, selling a home whatever where you can say, do you want fries for that so that's technology because it wasn't there 20 years ago 25 years ago before the internet really took hold yeah. but it, it's a pretty unsophisticated sort of technology
3: Yeah for, for Scott and Margaret Scott, I'll start with you. Someone I spoke to recently said if the customer doesn't see the innovation or doesn't feel it in you know a smoother process or whatever, then it's not it's not innovation. What's, what, what do you think about that, that particular view of innovation?
5: Yeah, I don't agree with that. I mean, one of the reasons that you don't see a lot of non-technical, non-product innovation is because there are things that are done to improve your business. As was mentioned earlier, I, I have a, as you mentioned, I have a better way of finding and, and keeping good people. I have a better business model. Well, when you develop those things and they're innovative and they work, you don't go out and advertise them because the insurance communities tend to be somewhat homogenous. They all tend to do the same thing over time. And so
0: when
5: I, when I look at it, it's like, okay, I can see the innovation inside the company. My customer doesn't necessarily have to see what was done, but he has to see the result of what was done, which is better service, lower price, more effective delivery, a better understanding of what it is you're buying. Those, it's not always the direct result of did I see the innovation, but did I get the benefit of of whatever that was.
3: Margaret, how important is the customer to any sort of planning around innovation?
4: I think the customer is king and queen. So I will say the focus on the customer experience as a trend in the insurance industry is big. And I would say I don't think it's going away. You know, I think that, you know, the human skills that we talk about, uh, the impact, the feel, the touch, these are, they're still important. They're very, very important. And we're talking about it. And in fact, uh, there is, there's a growing, um, growing climb. In insurance organizations, they're hiring of customer experience people, people who are completely focused on customer experience. So we know that's happening right now.
3: Okay, so another uh, transitioning to the final part of your uh, your stressful role of having to evaluate all of these different companies, there's quite a few categories around the concept of teams, which I love. Um, I think it's like embedded in my DNA technology. Margaret, I'm going to start with you. For the team award, sort of like the question I ask for innovation. How are you thinking about teams and what makes them remarkable and what makes them innovative? What are you looking for for the appropriate team, whether it's a startup or just, you know, a team in, you know, uh, buried in the cellar of some giant insurance company in Hartford or Des Moines, Iowa, How do you think about team and how are you going to judge that?
4: You know, I'm looking for teams that are becoming communities and they're becoming ecosystems and they are, they're learning and they're evolving. How, how do they learn and do they have some of the traits that I look for in great entrepreneurs? You know, how, what is their pace of learning, their pace of growth? And then when they fail. What happens? How do they move forward? How do they pick themselves up? You know, I look at resilience, you know, in that and curiosity. Those are some of the characteristics that I think are really important to not just win once, but to have a pattern of success and that evolution um, of energy and growth. Yep. Scott, teamwork?
5: Yeah, I, I agree with everything she just said. I don't know that I could add much more to that. Thank you, Margaret. No,
3: <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, well, how about this, Scott? Anything common that you've seen in successful teams, or the opposite?
5: Yeah, there's no real stratification of 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 reporting, if you will. And I've worked hmm. for General Electric for a number of years. I worked for other large corporations, and the most successful ones. Being on a team, it didn't matter if you were the intern there or the senior manager. Good teams would accept that everyone as a collective mind is better than any one of them. And that's where you get the, the, best, the best responses out of it. people that work together, not intimidated by the fact that somebody is somebody's boss's boss, not worrying about whether or not they don't think they have enough experience to to offer their input, but people that are comfortable airing stuff, tabling it, deciding what goes on in the parking lot, deciding what's worth pursuing, and rewarding the team as well as the individual.
3: Yeah, Paul. the The whole is uh, generally greater than the sum of the parts, as the saying goes. How do you think about team? You know, I'm I'm particularly interested in in um, what successful teams do. Right. How are you able to flag whether that team has it, big capital IT? It's
1: fairly hard because you can't see into the inner workings. But I, I, like you, was pleased to see teams show up so many times because there's been a lot of really interesting research done on teams in recent years. Uh, Google, for instance, has looked at what makes a successful team and found that it's basically psychological security. You can go ahead and say something and not have somebody tell you you're stupid. Uh, and they found huge differences between the best-performing teams and the worst-performing teams. I helped write a book a few years ago with the two leaders of the consulting practice at and Struggles and thought the most interesting research they had was also on the the difference between a really high-performing team and Mm -hmm. a low-performing team. As I look at it, a key thing is making sure that these teams really draw across the organization. So, if you're trying to innovate within your existing structure, I think the odds are low that you're going to succeed. You have to be able to cherry pick across organizations and do the team first and then have the organizational structure follow based on the innovation. So, in terms of what you can actually see from the outside, it's probably as much as anything that willingness to pull from different places that I think marks a, a good team as opposed to an unsuccessful team.
3: Yeah. Don and Nicole, I'm- really curious about the startup teams that you see. Um, I I have my own startup as everyone that's listening knows. I think one thing that's uh, really valuable in a team is diversity. I think in whatever talent level, you can find it. Like, I just feel like the complementary skills get to that point where one and one, you can get to, you know, one plus one equals three. Um, the teams that you're seeing on a day to day basis, Don, we'll start with you, but Nicole, I would like you to answer this as well. How important is that aspect? The diversity in all of its different forms?
0: Yeah, so um, I actually just wrote a blog on our, our last week's program on diversity this morning. So um very appropriate topic.
3: <laughs> I didn't um, know that.
0: I just I just finished it. It just <laughs> okay. got it just got posted a couple seconds ago. Uh, We'll we'll put
3: that Uh, on the show notes.
0: (laughs) Anyway, um, you know, I I think diversity of thought uh, as well as founder teams uh, are very important. We seldom select a single founder uh, startup um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be on the startup team. It could be on their advisory board. It could be from their circle of mentors, but um, you know, our comment is is always if you have a group of people who all think alike, your outcome uh, and, solution is is going to be tainted exactly that way. And so we try to get as much of diversity of thought and experiences um, and cultures uh, in that. And that's one of the powers of our program as well is that when you bring in 10 startups together and, and they're together for three months, um, they all help each other out with that diversity of thought, um, as well as our, our mentors who are here. So we think that's critical, um, and we try to um, inform some of the startups if they have a gap uh, to uh, add someone with that skill set within their advisory board or um, within their network to, to help them out. And that seems to be an extreme value to them.
3: Nicole?
2: I care a lot about organizational structure and the makeup of especially a founding team, but ever so, you know, as it grows and adds team members that it's it's intentional. And you know when I think about more from the startup perspective and, and what we're looking at, or it's oftentimes it's a small team, it's a lean team, but it's it's their ability to execute on this idea. So when I am talking to, You know, potential investor in a startup, probably their number one criteria is the team, right? If this might not be an idea, the idea needs to be able to be executed by these people right now, and so it's it's a lens with which um, kind of draws back to my when I think if if I can have a a couple minute conversation with a person or a team and they're able to eloquently articulate the the problem that they're solving uniquely, uh, you know, that they're, they're the right folks because they're almost so obsessed with it. It's just all that they think about and work on.
3: I like that answer a lot. Uh, speaking of team, you, uh, the, the five of you are a smaller subset of a larger team to do uh, as the panel of expert judges, how will you how will you all function as a team? Anyone?
5: Yeah, yeah. I think I can speak to that. Not having worked with these particular people before, but I've been judging award ceremonies for several decades now. And when you get into that process, there are, there is a, an evaluation that you're making from your prejudices, your mindset, your experience, you may look at something and and give it an average score. But it's important that every judge then caveats his score by saying, I think this guy was great, mediocre, lousy, for whatever reason. Because then the judges can say, well, oh no, you don't understand, he does this and this and this, or this is why I think this is important. And as we all come from a bit of diversity in, in terms of our background, it allows us to learn from each other and to make a better, better award judgment.
3: Yeah. How much is there uh, an allowance for collaboration amongst the judges? How much is there an allowance for Paul to tell Margaret, I think you should reconsider your, your uh, viewpoint on this or Margaret to uh, do the same. Could you guys talk a little bit about that? I've, I've never been involved in anything like this. So, Uh, I think the audience would be curious.
5: Yeah, that typically only occurs is if there's a big break in terms of the scoring. Like if one person scored the person high and everyone else scored them low, they tend to discount the one high one and vice versa. If there's a a clear division, three of us think they're good or split between two candidates, then the administrative organization will typically send it back out and say, would you weigh in? Would you say why you waited this way? We've narrowed it down to two. Can you cast your vote? So it's, it's a democratic process with a, with a bit of, of socializing, if you will. But it's only the outliers that we really have to do that for.
1: Yeah. I'm just going to assume Margaret is always right.
4: <laughs> oh, you're very, very kind. And I, I'm, I'm thinking here as I'm listening to all of you, um, I'm learning so much already, and this process is really, um, it's a journey. You know, we have to get to a destination, and it's going to be tough to get to that destination. I have to believe we're going to have some great, great um, assessments to do, but I'm excited about learning and collaborating, and, you know, I'll say if we've got some outliers, good for us. You know, let's let's create a dialogue and let's practice what we really respect and admire in teams and do the same, because that's how we're going to that's how we're going to all be able to put the spotlight that we really need on the industry and the energy and the focus that is happening right now. This is our time. It's, it's our time to really impact and change. And it's fun to be a part of it and uh, fun to listen to all of you as well.
1: Yeah. So, see, C Margaret was right. Just right there. Yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs> can I can I throw in that
3: for Nicole and Don? Will allow you to kind of finish off this. Is gonna, this is going to be time consuming, right? This is not. Uh, you get a form in an email and you just start checking boxes. Uh, this is going to require quite a bit of your time, effort, resources. You you essentially have to research all of these different companies and then collaborate with the rest of the team, or is it just going to be a weekend?
2: I'll jump in. Yeah. I'm looking, I'm looking forward to it and I'm thankful that it is not happening in the midst of our current active accelerator, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but it's happening at a time where we'll have a little more time to breathe and again. um, uh, You know, I don't know what the time, how much time it will take, but I'm, I'm, dedicated to digging in because we know that everyone's going to be putting in the time just to submit the applications uh outside of all of the time and effort for for the actual you know uh job that they've been doing to demonstrate that
3: yep you ready for uh spending months and months done doing researching all of these companies
2: yeah,
0: um, actually, I'm, I'm interested to see how many will overlay those that we've already researched. So we have a pretty uh, large database um, with ones that we've done uh, some, some due diligence on. So uh, we're used to that. It's it's funny. People always ask me, because our accelerator is for three months, you know, what do you do the rest of the time? And I always ask, well, how do you think we find these um, startups? It, it does take work and it does take um, research. Um, you know, we're doing the research. We're, we're used to. Looking at things, and uh, I I do a lot with kind of taking my own personal notes as far as why I've chosen one or the other. And if I happen to run into uh, a startup or um, whoever it might be at an event, I do share some of my thoughts because I always coach the startups. That you know, if you're working with a partner or someone who may have rejected your idea or thought for some reason, um, even that rejection is, is. is positive and that feedback is positive. Um, and so I, I do also keep those, um, notes as, as being a value and anyone who has made it to the, the point of being judged is, is also has some value as well. So they should think positively about that. Okay.
3: That's a fantastic way of ending it. I will, I will end with parting thoughts. I won't, uh, go around and have you all sort of say the same thing, but, uh, I would like to give a thank you to, all five of you, not only for taking time out of your day to come here, but uh, as I mentioned, it's uh, being a judge is not getting a form and just uh, checking boxes off. Uh, You're going to have to sacrifice a lot of hours kind of digging into a lot of these companies, collaborating with one another. So thank you for taking not just time out of your day here now for this, but you know, your weekends, your nights, to To dig in, um, because there are so many quality companies out there, so many quality teams doing a lot of really cool stuff, and it's wonderful that uh, they get to get celebrated a little bit. I guess that's the par- parting word. Thank you to thank you for all to all of you uh, for for joining and for being part of this particular team of judges. Thank like you. It. Thank you. I will. Uh, thanks to everyone here. I will put all of the information on the show notes. It is the Insurance Nexus Insurance Awards for 2019. It will be on September 12th in Chicago, Illinois. Um, there is uh, this is just a team of five. There are a lot more judges. Nineteen awards, a bunch of different categories. Check out the show notes, uh, and if you happen to be in the Chicago area, uh, go talk to these folks and uh, help these help these uh, companies celebrate uh, their big achievements. So thank you, thank you again, everyone.